It's Friday, January 28th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynesy, uh, yesterday, uh, it, not really sort of a, a surprise or anything like that, but uh, the Guardians announced the finalization of their lease agreement uh, extension and uh, agreement to, to finance uh, renovations and upgrades to the ballpark there at Progressive Field. Uh, the Guardians aren't going anywhere. They're going to be in town uh, through at least 2036. And there's the potential there to add 10 more years with options uh, to keep them here through 2046. Uh, all, all very good news for, for baseball fans in Cleveland. Yeah, Joe, definitely. Um, I don't think they, there was ever a, really a fear of uh, the Guardians leaving. I, I don't think uh, the you know, the ball club presented it to, to the city that way. Um, you know, I guess the threat is always there, but, uh, you know, I, this, but this, this settles things once and for all, you know, there's not people all, you know, sweating bullets over the lease is cut two years away now from expiring. And, not, you know, so this is a good thing. And hopefully, you know, it, the ball club and everybody else can just concentrate on, I'm putting a good uh, product on the field. Right. I mean, this is Cleveland. So anytime you mention the, the potential or the idea of teams leaving town or, or looking for greener pastures elsewhere, uh, you're going to get uh, a, a more, you know, decided reaction than you would from uh, a city that hasn't had its uh, heart ripped out and guts stomped on like they did with the Browns back in the nineties. Uh, but like you said, the, the guardians never really, we're a threat to leave. It's just reassuring and sort of, uh, you know, allows for more planning and more, you know, beneficial things to happen. I mean, this is a club that, that, that brings in, I think the, the figure was like 32 million in, uh, in revenue every year to the, to the, to downtown and, and, you know, something like, you know, 17 to 21 million in tax revenue. Just it, it's a, it's a good thing that this lease got extended. Uh, I think uh, Cleveland City Council voted 13 to three and uh, Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga County Council voted overwhelmingly to approve uh, this, this agreement. Uh, it, it's twofold. It's, just, it's, the, it's the lease and it's also uh, the, the financing for upgrades to the park. Now, you know, the, the ballpark has gone, undergone changes over the last several years, you know, with the, the, the right field corner and the, the storage containers in right field and the, the conversion of the bullpens out in center. Uh, but this is, is going to focus more uh, a little bit on the, the, the fan experience in left field, but also some upgrades to the, you know, player amenities and uh, the front office uh, spaces. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, I'm really interested to see what they do with the uh, Terrace Club, Joe. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they've really turned, uh, you know, the right corner, right corner of uh, progressive field into a great place, you know, with the corner bar there. And it seems like that's always happened. And can they do something with uh, the terrace club, which I guess, you know, you know, a uh, dining with, uh, you know, white, white, white uh, tablecloths is kind of out, you know, at the ballpark, they want to re reinvigorate that space and, uh, you know, try to get something new in there. So that's going to be fun to watch to see what happens there. Yeah, I, when the ballpark opened, that was sort of the, 
one of the marquee features was that you had a restaurant in left field with the, that, that, that glass space and, uh, you know, people could sit like hanging over the, the, uh, the seats in, the, in, in left field and, and watch a game from there. And uh, really, it's, it's an underutilized space over the last several years. I mean, I can't remember the last time I was, was in the Terrace Club other than to cut through it to, to get out of the ballpark late at night when we're, uh, we're trapped. Several, several writers have had to cut through the, uh, the kitchen in the Terrace Club to, yeah. to get out of the ballpark. Uh, just uh, a, a crazy sort of experience that only a few of us uh, have, have had to endure. But I, I can't remember the last time uh, that space was utilized for anything more than, you know, a, a meeting or uh, it, it really just the, the potential for that area is something, you know, I, I've always said that they're going to put a like a discotheque in there. It's going to be thumping. I, I think there's going to be like you know, music and LEDs and uh, Framil and the boys are going to go up there after uh, after ball games and, and, and hang out. Yeah, it's a great space and uh, and it should be utilized. I mean, you know, you you have a kind of, you know, you've limited the uh, seating in the ballpark to what, maybe 35, 37,000. You know, it's almost, you know, Fenway like now. And so you got to be able to use that part of the ballpark to, uh, you know, bring more fans in and have them interact with the game, watch the game and, uh, you know, become involved with the team in some way. Well, and it also speaks to the different generations. I mean, you know, back in the day, you'd go to the ballpark, you'd sit in your seat, you'd, you'd fill out a, uh, you know, you'd, you'd score the game on a sheet or whatever. You'd, that was your, your ballpark experience. Now, uh, with, with the attention deficit generation and, you know, younger kids who, who go to the ballpark and they want those dollars from, from those, those 18 to 25 year olds. But if you're going to get that, you want, you have to offer them, you know, beer taps on the wall and, you know, fire pits and soft seating and, you know, anything but sitting in your seat and watching the game. It, it, it's a social experience more than it is, you know, a, a baseball experience. And to, to the guardians credit, to the, to the franchise's credit, the changes and the upgrades that they've made over the last, you know, decade or more, have all been geared towards drawing that in and, and, and adding to that experience. They're going to open up the, the upper deck, the upper uh, concourse and, and, you know, add, you know, led lights and, and have more of an, an open floor plan. And so you can see more there that way. I, I think that'll be interesting to see. Uh, but really not just the fan experience. They're also going to add things, you know, for the first time and maybe, you know, uh, in, in 25, 30 years of the ballpark, they're going to add, uh, make changes to the way that the players experience the park as well. Yeah, you know, uh, the new locker rooms, uh, I guess they're going to, you know, they're talking about, you know, changing the Indians uh, locker room and workout facilities and weight rooms and all that from uh, the third baseline to the first baseline. And that's, uh, that's going to be quite an undertaking, Joe, because, you know, the, uh, when I remember first walking into a, uh, Jacobs Field then, you know, now it's Progressive mm -hmm. Field and, and looking at uh, the Indians locker room and the space they had and the facilities they had and, you know, your, jo your jaw dropped on the floor, you know, after, you know, being used to the stadium where, you know, it was, they were like in a closet, the whole, <laughs> the whole team was in a closet, you know, and everybody had one locker and they hung their, you know, there was a hook there and, and that was about it. So hanging uh, jerseys on nails or something like that. Yeah. And uh, so I can only imagine 
you know, what the changes are going to look like this time around? Uh, I got to think that, you know, whirlpools and, you know, aquatic facilities might be on the, on the, the menu there. Uh, also, it, moving to the first base side, you know, saves uh, the Guardians players a few steps in having to go uh, around the service level to, to get to the players parking lot. I mean, I, I can't imagine that's a, a, a big reason why, but uh, one of, one of the things is, you know, one of the drawbacks would be if you're on that first base side, the sun during different times of the season is beating down on that first base dugout a lot more than the third base dugout. I always thought that that was an advantage. The, uh, the, that Cleveland had, you know, at home was that they were never really getting cooked by the sun, even during day games. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, especially, I, I remember, you know, those, those kind of 7 p.m. starts during the summer. You know, the first baseman is like right in the middle of the glare. He can't, you know, you're, you're taking your life in your hands trying to field, you know, throws from the infield. And so that sun has got to be right down on the, on the, on the, uh, the you know, the dugout as well. So those boys better be uh, having their sunglasses on and their <laughs> sunblock on. So uh, another, uh, another uh, planned upgrade is to the, uh, executive offices. So Chris Antonetti, Mike Chernoff, and uh, and the folks over in baseball operations uh, might see a little bit of, of renovation at some point. I'm sure that's going to be a little further down the road, but, you know, newer facilities. I mean, the, the, they're in the original offices that, that came with that ballpark. So, uh, you know, probably time to, to upgrade and, and make some make some changes there uh, as well, just to to sort of facilitate the idea of moving the guardians forward and, and putting the best team out on the field. Yeah. They'll get some more laptops in there, Joe. They need that. <laughs> hey, yes. I'll, I'll, it, it, upgrades to your, your front offices means more laptops. Sure. Uh, all right. Hoisey, we're going to shift gears and get into our uh, top 25 uh, most memorable uh, Cleveland baseball personalities of the day. Uh, this guy, another one, another, uh, you know, blind intro, it, it's, it's pretty easy to, to guess these guys as we, uh, as we start to introduce them, because some of them are just, uh, so beloved by, by Cleveland fans, uh, born in August of 1982 and drafted by the Montreal Expos in the third round. Uh, this player was traded to Cleveland in uh, 2002, along with Cliff Lee, Brandon Phillips, and Lee Stevens. So if that's not a giveaway, uh, I, I don't know what is. But uh, he was, what, a three-time All-Star, uh, two-time Gold Glove winner, Silver Slug Award winner in 2008. Uh, as far as all-time ranks in, in franchise history, his name is, is all over the books in terms of single game and single season. Uh, for a career. Uh, he does have 816 strikeouts uh, for Cleveland at sixth all-time, and he's tied for fourth with 65 hit-by-pitches, and really injuries was the, uh, the, the the sort of the tail end of the story for this individual. Who are we talking about here, Hoinsey? It's got to be Grady Sizemore, Joe. The, the, uh, the inspiration for Grady's ladies, of course. Grady Sizemore, <laughs> none other. Uh, this was as close to, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, a superstar player as as the Indians had during that uh, that period uh, that he played. You know, uh, 
in Cleveland. He was he was the the marquee name on on some of those teams. Oh, for sure, Joey. This is a guy that you know. Just looking back on that trade, think about this. This might be one. You know, if if you rank the top ten trades in baseball history, this this has a chance to break into that. The Indians traded Bartolo Colon to Montreal for Sizemore, Cliff Lee, Brandon Phillips, and, and Lee Stevens was a throw-in. But like you said, Sizemore's a three-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove winner, Silver Slugger winner. He, he was a 30-30 guy. Cliff Lee wins the Cy Young. He's a, he's a four-time All-Star. He's a 20-game winner. He pitches in two World Series. Brandon Phillips you know, is a three-time All-Star, a four-time Gold Glove winner, hits 211 home runs. They got that. <laughs> that's For that's one a guy. deal that makes your reputation. You know, they screwed up and traded Brandon Phillips, but they got a lot of production out of Sizemore and, and Cliff Lee. And, uh, you know, so that that trade by Mark Shapiro, you know, that that made well, – you he made his bones on that one. Yeah, you know, that and, was – at that point, you know, Montreal was I, I, Montreal really didn't care because they were on their way out of uh, out of Canada anyway. So I'm sure they were uh, you, they probably didn't lose a lot of sleep over losing uh, those guys because uh, th- that was a franchise in flux at the time anyways. And credit Shapiro, he capitalized. He knew uh, where and when to strike. But uh, when did you know when when you saw Grady Sizemore, when did you know? that there was something special about this guy? You know, I, I, I remember him in spring training. He was supposed to make the ball club. No, no, he got sent down. He had a great spring in Winter Haven. Uh, then you know, Juan Gonzalez was going to beat him out in the outfield. <clears throat> Gonzalez, one of the final spring training games, made a, tried to make a leaping catch and tore his hamstring or something. And Grady had already been shipped out, so they had to bring him back. And, you know, he made the, he made the ball club then, but, you know, really, I, I think, you know, in, 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 in the 2000, that 2008 season, you know, when he went 30, 30 with 33 home runs, 38 RBIs, um, you know, 876 OPS and just, you know, played the heck out of center field. You know, that's when I knew. And, and it was interesting, you know, he, he had, he collected a lot of MVP votes. He never won the MVP, but, um, you know, I, I remember talking to uh, Chris Antonetti and, you know, Grady only had, you know, he, he never hit for a high average. Like, you know, mm-hmm. he had, I think he had a 265 career average. And, uh, you know, we were talking one day and uh, I said, you know, it, boy, if Grady, uh, you know, if Grady could hit 280, 290, he, he could have won the MVP one, one of these years. And, and, uh, and Antonetti said he should have won it. And, you know, and because he was the first guy, he was the spearhead for the analytical, you know, the analytics player, you know, where the strikeout didn't cost, you know, wasn't, right. didn't cost you that much. He had the high on base percentage, the slugging percentage, and, you know, where batting average started to take a bat backseat to all the other stats. And, uh, you know, that he really, you know, was at the front of that analytical change in the game to me. Uh, the 2006 season, his first all-star season, he finished 11th in the MVP voting that year. Uh, he hit 290 with a 907 OPS, uh, led the league in runs scored, led the league in doubles, 
and played in all 162 games. Like you said, uh, his, his strikeouts started to creep up and climb. But really, the, those first couple of years, 2005 through 2008, uh, and right before he started to get hurt in 2009, those were marked by, you know, he played every day. And he was out there, uh, you know, bumps and bruises and all, and he played through everything. And then you got to the point where uh, the elbow injury crept up. And, you know, that that first season in, in 2009 where he had to miss a significant amount of time. And then he was just never the same. Yeah, that's a great point, Joe. From, from 2005 to 2008, the Indians played 648 regular season games. Sizemore started and played 639 of them. Oh. The guy missed nine games over that period. In, in 06 and 07, he played every game. He played 162 games back to back. And, uh, you know, and, and you're right. The, uh, and that's in the 2009 season, you know, he, his, he finally had to say no mas when his elbow was hurting right. and he came out and it was like, you didn't believe it. You know, he, you thought, you know, you thought this guy was like Cal Ripken. I remember, uh, you know, a uh, Ben Francisco, I, I saw Ben Francisco, uh, a couple of years ago in winter Haven. And they and Grady and him lived next to close to each other in Arizona, and he was talking about Grady and he goes, Grady Sizemore was Mike Trout before Mike Trout, mm-hmm. and in in a lot of ways he was he was that you know big physical, kind of like a f- former football player he played he was a uh, you know a, a quarterback uh, wasn't he yeah running quarterback he was, a, he was an option quarterback yeah option quarterback he could have gone to a University of uh, Washington on a on a, uh, you know, on a football scholarship, he signed with the Expos, but he was that kind of guy. I, I remember there was a game in Toronto uh, when he stole, made a straight steal of home and you could, he ran so hard. You could hear, you know, from the press box, you could almost hear his foot, his, his footsteps coming like thundering down the, down the line. It was unbelievable. It was like, boom, boom. It was like, you know, like I heard of elephants going down the, down the third baseline. He, he didn't do anything half speed. Everything was full speed. And that was one of the reasons I think, you know, his body eventually gave out. Right. Yeah. You, you also look at the way he played center field. He, he would lay out for, for catches and, and go after balls, uh, you know, diving and, and sacrificing his body in that way. Uh, and, you know, up until 2009, he always got up. And then after that, it was, you know, and, and he did have that, that rare combination of, you know, the speed and quickness and the power as well, because he could hit a ball a long way. Yeah. He, uh, you know, um, I remember the year he went 30, 30, you know, he had, we finished with 33 home runs and 38 RBI, uh, 38 stolen bases. And he was, you know, he got that, like maybe he was right around that, like he got 30, 30. And I think it was in August or late August. And I, you know, I, ta- I was talking to him and he goes, well, I said, well, what's next? What, what, what are you going to do? And he goes, why not get 40, 40? You know, he was, he was still trying it. You know, he was really, he was a motivated guy. And, uh, but the way he played center field, you know, I remember there was a game in Oakland and, you know, there was a drive to uh, center field. He had no chance of catching it. He dove head first, like hit the warning track, kind of skidded into the, to the fence and, and Mike Hegan, you know, we used to do a color mm-hmm. for on a, on Tommy Hamilton's partner. You know, he uh, he he t- went up to him the next day and said, hey, "Grady, you got 
you got to take it easy. You know, you, this is you want to play a long time. This is you play 162 games this year, but you know that's the way he played, and and you know it was, uh, you know, and it, you know that's the way he played, and you know I don't think you could change him. And it was it was almost sad when uh, you know he started to break down. You know, he had the 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 microfractures surgeries mm -hmm. on his knee, his left and right knee. He had to miss two seasons before he even came back. But I remember talking to him and he and he talked in a whisper. You know, he was really a, a soft spoken guy. And uh, you know, uh Brantley, Michael Brantley had kind of replaced him in center field for a while. And he made Brantley made uh a great, you know, stole a home run, you know, mm -hmm. um, jumped over the fence and, and stole a home run, brought it back. And we were talking to uh, Grady and we were talking about that catch and he kind of almost wistfully uh, said uh, that used to be me, you know, and uh, you know, that was that kind of, you know, it kind of pulled at your heart a little bit because you knew that he knew, you know, he was, this wasn't going to work out. And, you know, the last one of the, when his, in his last season in 2015, Mm -hmm. I think with Tampa Bay, we, they, he played against the Indians. He went two for four with, with uh, two for four with a stolen base on July 2nd. That was the, the, I think the second, the second last stolen base of his career. And then, wow. you know, he finished, he finished the year there and, and that was it. Well, he was, he was with Cleveland for parts of eight seasons uh, collected 948 hits and uh what 139 home runs uh you know not not insignificant uh you know time and 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 really his his name still sort of dots all of the the franchise you know single season you know records lists what what was he like sort of uh you know away from the field and away from the park i mean we, we know what he produced on the field when when you guys approached him in in the clubhouse you know, was he, was he welcoming? What was his, his deal? Yeah, he was, he was never, uh, you know, abrasive, but he was just, he was just so quiet. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't get him. I mean, you couldn't, you had to, you had to, you had to, if you had to get your tape recorder right up under him to, to <laughs> listen to him. And he was always, you know, cooperative. He was always a good guy. Uh, you know, he had kind of a, a little bit of sense of humor, uh, but uh, he, uh you know, he, he, he just, he wasn't that guy that was, that was going to be, uh, you know, that rah-rah guy. He wasn't going to stand in the, in the clubhouse and give, give somebody a speech. He was going to, you know, kind of do it on the field and kind of, if you want to, if you want to, if we, you want to win, play this way, you know, he was that kind of guy, but he was, uh, he was an interesting guy. He, Sheldon Ocker could always, always make him laugh. Sheldon would ask him questions. And I remember once Sheldon asked him something and he goes, Shelly, you locked me up there. He, he had, he had no, <laughs> he had no answer for, for, for Sheldon's question. That's great. Uh, and yeah, it, it's with all the attention that he got with, you know, you know, we mentioned Grady's ladies and, you know, he was sort of a, 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 a darling, like a poster boy in, in terms of uh, MLB network and, you know, ESPN, like looking at him as, as the guy on those teams who, who was the, the focal point, you know, uh, playing in the all-star game, uh, you know, three years in a row there and, and helping uh, Cleveland get to the American league championship series in, in 2007 uh, against Boston. 
Uh, just, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Grady Sizemore, and, and I think uh, a lot of folks in Cleveland, he gave, a, he gave eight great years here in Cleveland, but they, they sort of just, you know, are, are, you know, kicking the dirt and just saying, you know, what if, what if, if this guy had stayed healthy, what, uh, what could he have, uh, uh, you know, become and developed into uh, for, for Cleveland uh, in, in, in his time here? Uh, and Joe, he's still only 39. You know, so if he had had a relatively, you know, healthy career, who knows? He could be DHing somewhere. He could still be, you know, playing almost. You know, the way guys play, you know, deep into their, you know, you know, their their careers have stretched out. So he's only thirty nine right now, and it's just, you know, like you said, what if? What? What? If? Well, and, and you know, if if he had gotten, he'd suffered those injuries, you know, nowadays with the way that they've they've updated microfracture surgery and you know, elbow reconditioning and all that, you know, who knows his, his career might've been uh, uh, elongated by, you know, just modern medicine, I think. But yeah. Uh, it, tough to sort of look back, but uh, you know, just some of the plays that he made were, were incredible. So uh, fun looking back at, at Grady Sizemore. Hoinsey, uh we'll check back in next week. Maybe we'll have a, a little more to talk about uh, progress wise in the labor negotiations and, we can actually start uh, to get into work on some some spring training stuff. Yeah, definitely. Let's uh, hopefully they get this thing going, Joe. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you again next week on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. <laughs> <laughs>